0: take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we're continuing on our series on the church at Ephesus. Paul's letters to Timothy are helpful, right? First. Timothy chapter 1, he told Timothy, you know, I I urged you to remain at Ephesus, that you would charge some, that they would teach no other doctrine, right? Um, Don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, but rather to godly edification or building up in the faith. In other words, for all the things that are happening at the church at Ephesus, and we can understand some of those things that are happening through these letters that Paul wrote to the church and to Timothy, right? There's the spiritual battle, there's the issues with elders, there's false teachers drawing people away. There's challenges to live faithfully so that Paul addressed husbands and wives and children and workers and masters, right? Paul addresses all those things, but none of the solutions are going to come from Timothy's own wisdom. He's already said to Timothy in the first letter, right? Let no man despise your youth, right? It's not the the wisdom of age that the church needs. It's the wisdom of ages which is found in the word of God. So 2 Timothy, we're actually going to read the last two verses of chapter 3 and then read right into chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living, And the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn away their ears. Uh, Sorry, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I told you last week, the, the girls have reached the age where they don't come running when I come to the door anymore. That doesn't mean that I don't get a warm welcome. Joy very often is happy to see me when I come home. Um, But always, before I can get greeted by her, there is a welcoming committee of one. There is this 80-pound golden doodle named Maximus who demands my attention. He knows when I come through that door that he's going to get in my face and I'm going to dig my fingers into the fur behind his ears and start scratching and say, who's a good boy? Maximus, Maximus is a good boy. He just loves it when you give him a good scratch behind the ears and tell him what a good boy he is. When we come to hear the word of God preached, the same thing can happen. Look at verse three. Paul tells Timothy that the time is soon coming, right? And he said this 2,000 years ago. The time soon coming that sound doctrine will not be endured because the people with itching ears will heap up for themselves teachers who speak according to the desires of the audience. The idea of heap up is literally to pile up. There will be piles of prophets and pastors willing to scratch the ears of a congregation and tell the congregation, you're all such good boys and girls. Which is what everybody wants to hear. But the preaching of God's word is not necessarily about what you want to hear. I say not necessarily because I am convinced it is what some of y'all want to hear. You genuinely come to the word of God seeking to be challenged and changed by it but to be challenged and changed by God's word requires you to hear hard things it sometimes requires me to speak difficult truths and apply them in uncomfortable ways even in in a church that doesn't do a, a whole lot of shouting amen I know that I could get up here and there are things that I could say that would get a rousing chorus of amens If that's what I wanted to hear, then all I have to do is tell you what it is that you want to hear. You are so much better than those heretics down the street, right? You believe the church is local and visible. You understand church truth. You know the sovereignty of God in salvation. Those people out there, they don't have the gospel right. They don't have the church ordinances right. But you do. And if that's all I ever do, I might as well not get behind the pulpit. I could just come down there and grab you by the ears and say, Who's a good boy? You're a good boy. There's plenty of churches where you can get that. There are piles of pastors whose highest aspiration is to make the congregation happy by affirming every doctrine they already believe and reaffirming every life decision they make. But as Timothy was left in charge at the church at Ephesus, a church with multiple problems, his job was not to tickle people's ears, it was to challenge their hearts and minds with the word of God. It's been four or five years ago now that we preached through the pastoral epistles and it happened that Andrew got the chance to preach the beginning portion of this text and the very simple and direct summary sentence that he made was this scripture alone is the ultimate God-given tool in salvation and discipleship. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Right? If lost people want to be changed, and they're going to be changed to saved people, it's going to be through. Faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, who is presented accurately in Scripture. And if saved people are going to be conformed to be more like Jesus, then it's going to be through obedience to the teaching found in the Word of God. And in fact, that was Jesus' final command to the church. Go out and make disciples by declaring the gospel and then disciple them by teaching them all the things I've commanded you, right? Go make believers and teach them from the word of God. What's actually going to help the church at Ephesus? They're not going to submit to the wisdom of this young kid, Timothy, who Paul left behind to lead the church. And so Timothy is not called to preach and teach his own wisdom. He's called to preach and teach the word of God As the only source of truth and authority that's actually going to help the church, y'all, it's also an understanding and obedience to the Word of God that is the only thing that's going to help our church as well. And so, I want to see three basic ideas from the text. I want to see what the word is in the beginning of verse sixteen in chapter three. I want to see what the word does. The rest of verse sixteen and all of verse seventeen. And then how the word works in the first two verses of chapter 4. What the word is, verse 16 in chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I know that y'all have heard probably a hundred times, this word inspiration means God breathed. That is the literal meaning of the word that Paul has Sort of invented here. The Apostle Paul loves taking two Greek words and just slamming them together and making one word out of it. And that's what he's done here. He's taken the word for God, theos. And the word that means spirit or wind or breath, noustos. And he's made theonoustos, right? It is all God-breathed. We use the word inspiration, but it, it might be more appropriate to use the word expiration all scripture is breathed out by God now we tend to use the word inspiration in a very common way we use it to describe when we get a, a a thought right inspiration has struck us or we use it to mean exceptional or creative or encouraging we we even use it in sports to say you know that team played inspired defense or the coach gave and inspirational speech that kind of common inspiration is not what the apostle paul is saying scripture is scripture is god breathed okay so what did the spirit do exactly well it was different in every case hebrews 1 verse 1 said god spoke to the prophets at different times and in different ways, right? Various times in various ways, right? He used dreams and he used visions. He used an audible voice. He used their, their personal experience. There was not one single means of inspiration. But here's what we can say always happened thanks to the Apostle Peter's description of inspiration. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter uses that word spirit, specifying it's the Holy Spirit, and describes the work of the Holy Spirit and in inspiration as holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Being moved or being moved along. It's actually the same term that we see in the book of Acts, which describes a a sailing ship being pushed along, moved along by the wind. And so the picture is that God chosen people, raised their sails right essentially opening themselves to the work of the spirit and the holy spirit filled those sails and moved them along pushed them along to the god-intended destination that's how scriptures come what both peter and paul are saying is that the word of god is well it's it's just that it's the word of god yes men wrote But they wrote the words and meaning intended by the Holy Spirit of God who moved them as they wrote. So, for example, in Acts, the Apostle Peter could quote one of the Psalms of the Old Testament and call it scripture which, quote, the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. Right? This is is God speaking, Through individuals, they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the way wind moves a ship. Now, that does not mean that they were moved like puppets or they had some, you know, out-of-mind trance-like state. And they woke up going, oh, wow, what is that I wrote? Right. On the contrary, God himself was superintending the entire process of their lives. So that even as the words came genuinely from their heart and mind, they were also moved by the Holy Spirit to record exactly what God wanted them to record. Now look at the text again, because Paul is not only asserting the truth that some scripture is God-breathed, but he says all scripture, or every scripture, Paul asserts that the total that he asserts the, the total inspiration of the totality of scripture. Now that's going to be massively important in a few moments when we talk about practical implications of this. Like what are we supposed to do with it? So I'll bring this back up in a few moments. But for now, all scripture or every scripture is inspired. I get in trouble for saying this sometimes, all scripture is equally inspired, even if we don't find all scripture to be equally inspiring, like if we, if we're honest, we we don't, I mean I think all of us would agree that there are times like we could get excited about some gospel account or the 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 love chapter first corinthians 13 that paul wrote in a way that very few of us are going to get when we read chapter after chapter of ancient hebrew genealogies yet all of it is inspired all of it is true and paul's also about to explain that it's all helpful it's all there for a purpose Listen, the Bible is not just a pretty good book that belongs on a shelf with other so-called religious texts. It is inspired. It is the product of the Holy Spirit. It is God-breathed, and because that is what the Word is, we need to think about what the Word does. So look at verses 16 and 17 again. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is Profitable For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, Paul says all scripture is profitable. The word there just means it's useful. So follow Paul's thinking here. If all Scripture is Holy Spirit-inspired, then all Scripture is useful for the Holy Spirit's purposes. Even the relatively boring genealogies are beneficial for God's purposes in your life. And You don't want to hear about it now, but you want to come ask me why genealogies are important? I'll be glad to explain it to you. Paul's argument here, is that Scripture is to be believed, and in addition to being believed, Scripture is also to be used. It doesn't exist just to be known, just to be memorized. It also exists to be applied. It's useful. It's profitable. There are plenty of people today who will say they believe the Bible to be inspired and inerrant in the Word of God, and yet in practice, they reject that belief. They will say, Well, this is God's Word, but then they will not submit to it as their only source of authority. Right? Scripture alone, without regard to our preconceived notions of what is true or our long held traditions of what it is we've always done, Scripture alone is the source of authority for faith and practice. That is, it is the Bible alone that shows us what to believe and how to behave. Paul actually explains that in four areas. He says, look, the Bible is profitable and it's profitable for what to believe and how to behave. And he breaks those two up into two subsections, Before we dig into those four areas, I want to make a note. The four areas in which he is about to describe Scripture as useful is saying that Scripture is useful for believers. Scripture is also useful and effective in making believers. Look at what Paul says before this, because I don't want you to think that he's missed this. In verse 15, he told Timothy that from, a, from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Right? So becoming a saved person, right? Coming to faith in Jesus, making someone a believer is a work of what scripture does. In verse 16, he's going on to describe that once people are believers, here is how scripture is helpful, it's useful for believers. He says it's profitable, it's useful, in four areas, right from verse 16. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. And when he says in righteousness, I think all of those are in righteousness. Okay? Doctrine is essentially teaching. As a pastor, Timothy was charged with explaining from Scripture what the congregation should believe. And our congregation, the, the doctrines that we hold as a church are to be clearly taught. From Scripture. Listen, any truth that you believe, you need to believe it because you have seen it in Scripture. It will do you no good if someone asks what you believe about a certain doctrine and you give the right answer. But the reason you give the right answer is, well, that's because what the pastor told me. You need to know that this is what God's Word tells you. Paul says it's helpful for reproof. This is the second useful function of Scripture. This is related to doctrine or to teaching, except it comes from a more negative slant. If every member of every congregation came to the word of God as a clean slate, then there would not have to be reproof. All there would need to be is doctrine. There would only have to be teaching. But we're not clean slates. We have preconceived ideas, and many of our preconceived ideas are wrong, and so they need to be reproved, and Paul's scripture is good for that. It's good to tell you what to believe, that's what he means by doctrine, it's also good to tell you what not to believe, and that's what he means by reproof. It's good for, he says next, correction. And correction seems a lot like reproof. The difference is those first two areas are dealing with what to believe and these second two areas are dealing with how to behave. So scripture is helpful for telling us what to believe and what not to believe. And when we have been living based on wrong beliefs, we're going to be faced with a serious challenge. When we've when our long-held beliefs and our practices are reproved by Scripture, when we are set right about what to believe, then we're actually, we're actually going to have to alter our behavior. And correction is that word talking about fixing our behavior. Correction is fixing what we do. And then he says instruction or instruction in righteousness. And this is also connected to behavior. Scripture is good for correction in the sense of saying, look, you can't do that. (laughs) But thankfully, it's also good for instruction and righteous living for saying, well, this this is what you should be doing. And so if I could just simplify those four areas for a moment, Scripture is useful, Paul says, for telling us what to believe, what not to believe how to behave and how not to behave. There's really no area of life that falls outside of Scripture. There's no area of life that Scripture fails to address. And that's what Paul says next in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So verse 16 says, is an argument for the authority of Scripture. That is, it's God's Word, and it carries all of His authority to command you what you should do and what you should not do. Verse 17 is an argument for what we call the sufficiency of Scripture. It is everything you need. There is not something you're missing which Scripture is not going to provide. There are some who would say, yeah, okay, Scripture is inspired, but it doesn't really tell me everything I need to know. The Bible does not relate to the year 2023. Actually, Paul says it does. Contained in the pages of God's Word is everything you need to be complete. The idea of that Word is mature. You can be a grown-up believer by feeding on the Word because within the Word, you have everything you need To be equipped, he says, for every good work. You'll be thoroughly, completely equipped. And so when someone starts saying, well, I got this sermon in a dream last night. Or they tell you, God has sent me with a word for you. What inevitably follows is unnecessary nonsense. The Bible already has everything you need to know. It is sufficient. And if somebody starts, you know, dreaming or says that they have received a message from God for you, really, they're claiming inspiration. So if that was true, it should just be added to Scripture. Right? We should have the the book of whoever that knucklehead was who said that to you. The problem is, is that when they come to you and say, well, God has a word for you. He's given me this word for you. If what follows, if what they say agrees with the Bible, right? If what they say is what the Bible already says, then it's not necessary. The Bible already says it. And if what they say disagrees with what the Bible says, it's nonsense. It's not true. Even if it does satisfy that itch that you've got, it is unnecessary nonsense. What you really need is for the Bible to be read and to be explained and to be applied to your life in the spirit-intended meaning of the text. Right? What the word is is the inspired message of God what the word does is everything it needs it it addresses how you what you need to believe and what you need to not believe how you need to behave how you should not behave it's good for both setting you right and fixing what's wrong and so Paul goes on to describe how the word works now remember the context here Paul has left young Timothy to lead the church at Ephesus. And he just said the scriptures are inspired, the scriptures are useful. And so listen to what he tells Timothy about how he's supposed to use the scripture. There at the beginning of verse 2 in chapter 4 is this very simple command, Preach the word. But there might not be a more glorious introduction in scripture leading into such a simple command. See how Paul introduces this idea of preaching the word. Verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Paul does not just make the simple statement to Timothy saying, preach the word because you'll be held accountable. He does that. But Paul goes to great length, putting in clearly a lot of thought to sort of intensify this command with layer upon layer of responsibility and accountability. He begins with, I charge you. The word charge he he uses there in the original language means to testify or to solemnly affirm or to earnestly or religiously charge. In other words, Paul's not just giving a suggestion. He is issuing a, a solemn and binding order. I charge you. I solemnly command you. I'm ordering you in the most serious manner possible to preach the word. But not only that, the solemn charge is done in the name and the presence of, verse 1, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not for a moment think that God is that, that Paul is naming the Father and the Son there in verse 1 to the exclusion of the Spirit. Clearly he has just said all scripture is god-breathed, it's theonoustos, right? It's it, it's given by god's spirit. And so all three persons of the godhead have a stake in the proclaiming of the holy scripture the father who elected his people from the foundation of the world is glorified through the accurate proclaiming of his word the son Jesus Christ who came in flesh to redeem his people through the work of the cross is magnified in the preaching of the word the holy spirit who uses this very word to draw sinners to faith in Jesus and to conform believers to the image of Jesus has a vital stake in the preaching of the word. And so Paul's issuing this command here and this solemn charge in the presence of God to represent the word of God with accuracy and proclaim the word of God with power. And there's also this apparent <laughs> y'all there's a threat that's that's sort of implicit in what Paul's saying. He seems to be saying, you do it or else, because there is Judgment coming to all of those living and dead when the Lord Jesus Christ appears. I don't know what Paul could be saying there in verse 1, except he's telling Timothy, be sure to do this because you are going to answer for it. And so why preach the word? Because the word does the work. Listen, I am accountable to God, but if my accountability to God is for the effectiveness of my preaching, I have every reason to be frightened about being accountable to God because I know I don't have the natural abilities of other preachers. I'm not vocally impressive. I'm certainly not visually impressive. Right? And I would have a hard time in my own power to convince anyone To do anything i couldn't bear the thought that i'm going to be responsible for bringing people to the lord jesus much less urging them to live holy lives but paul doesn't tell timothy here that that's his work because that would be too heavy to bear his work is just preach the word you don't have to preach your own heart your own heart's desperately wicked and couldn't help anybody you don't have to preach your own mind because you came into this world blinded and full of vain imaginations and you still carry that sinful nature with you instead the preaching of jesus christ is the proclamation of a message that is not our message yeah it's ours through experience because after all a witness has to testify to the things that they've themselves seen and experienced but The authorship of this message rests with God and it is just entrusted to people as a kind of go-between. And because of that, church pastors, the elders of a church, don't just know what to preach. Paul's also clear on how to preach it. So don't miss that there is a parallel here in what Paul's saying. Back in chapter 3, verse 16, And chapter 4, verse 2, Paul gives lists of four things, right? In chapter 3, verse 16, it was, here is how the word is useful. And in chapter 4, verse 2, it is, preach the word and do it this way. And it matches all the ways in which the word is useful. So it's good for doctrine, preach doctrine. It's good for reproof, reprove. It's good for correction, so rebuke wrongdoing and correct it. It's good for instruction and in righteousness. So he says, exhort them to good works with long suffering. The Bible contains the authority. So declare the word of God with its authority. Right? God not only commands all men everywhere to repent, but he uses his word to bring them to repentance. He demands our holiness because he is holy. And he sends his holy scripture as a means to initiate holiness in his people he not only demands good works but he uses the the declaration of his inspired word to furnish to completely equip his saints preparing them to do those good works Now i said i'd a little while ago i'd bring this up later back in verse 16 all scripture is inspired all scripture is is profitable. So implicit in this command that Paul's giving to Timothy to preach the word, it means to preach all the word. Thankfully, not all of it in every sermon. Listen, I don't think it's particularly helpful if you get asked after the message, what was the message about? And your only answer could be, everything right now we're in the middle of a couple of sermon series one on following the church at Ephesus through the new testament the other in church discipline church membership but most usually we're going to preach through books and this is why all Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is useful. All Scripture is to be preached. God gave us a book full of books. We ought to learn it as God gave it. Right? You don't get to to pick and choose the doctrines that you want to emphasize. You don't get to pick and choose the things you want to ignore. Ultimately, if we preach through books, we'll deal with everything, including, invariably some things that i don't want to deal with and you don't want to hear the only way we can avoid the picking and choosing issue is to have a congregation that insists on better right timothy wasn't called to tickle people's ears he was called to in verse 2 convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and teaching and so how are you going to react when that happens? Listen, I know that I really doubt there's any of y'all that come to worship service just wringing your hands and saying, oh boy, I hope I get some rebuking this morning. But are you willing to accept when it happens, if the message from the word is clearly the spirit intended meaning of the word? And it tells you that you need to change what you believe or you need to change how you behave. You need to repent of that sin. You need to obey this command. How is it that you're going to react to that? I'm thankful that the church here has a commitment to the word to allow it to to shape what we believe and how we behave. And we need to maintain that commitment even when it's challenging. Y'all, we have to do it especially When it's challenging, that's the purpose of Scripture, is to change us. It's never the purpose of Scripture to say, oh, you're a good boy. If we're going to be complete, mature believers equipped for all good works, we need to be filled with the good word of God. And you need to be ready to evaluate the preaching and to know for certain well this is the message that is clearly intended by the word by the text it's not a message from the preacher described as or disguised as being authoritative because he can hide behind the pulpit and twist a couple of words but if it is a message from the word even if it's hard you need to be ready to be convicted to be corrected to be Encouraged to be challenged and changed when the inspired scripture are opened and God, because it's God-breathed, God exhales his warm breath on your life. Paul assures Timothy, there is nothing the church at Ephesus needs other than the accurate and authoritative preaching of God's word. And there is nothing that's going to help this church more than that either. And so don't seek, don't come hoping to get pleasing messages that make you feel good. Some of them will, and some of them should. But seek God's message that does the hard work of conforming you to Christ so that we actually are good. Because that's the purpose of Scripture, to fully equip us to every good work.